0: For authors, artists, writers, copywriters, Feffy's Cottage Formatting and Design is here to help you polish and beautify your book or script, and develop a clean professional product ready for print on demand or ebook. Services include book interior formatting, cover wrap design and formatting, copy editing, proofreading, and graphic design. From event posters, banners, book event signage, ebook formatting, even illustration, to back cover blurbs, maps, and chapter header art. I can help you turn your art into a quality package primed for publication, print, and even broadcast. The full list of services and pricing are available on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Cottage FD. F-E-F-F-I-E-S Cottage FD. Don't let your good works get dragged down by simple grammatical or visual issues. Come and check out my page today.
1: Well, guys, it's that time of year, the season finale. I just want you all to know I really appreciate the fact that you have stuck by me, especially through these last few months. It's been a hard and really difficult uh, time in my life, Um, but I made it through it, and so is my family, and we're doing good. Um, If you don't mind continuing praying for us, if you pray, and um, again, I just want to say thank you to everybody. Um, I know it sucks when you're expecting something to come out, and then it's delayed, or it doesn't come out, Um, so... I apologize. Uh, the goal is to have more content ready to go before the season even starts. Um, we'll see if it happens. But it is my goal. Um, and, man, I keep saying um. um, um, um. Sorry, that's such a filler word. I just want you guys to know how grateful I am for you guys sticking by me through this. And uh, listening to this podcast. And taking time out of your day. You know, life's busy. We don't always have time to sit down and listen to podcasts or, you know, stuff like that. So the fact that you're here listening to this now means a lot. And therefore, this episode is dedicated to you, um, to all those who have continued through the last three months to listen to this show regularly and support, you know, uh, this podcast in any way you can, whether it's listening. Whether it was sharing it on, you know, some form of social media or telling someone about it, this episode is dedicated to you. This is A Better Utopia, an audiobook podcast written and produced by Counter Culture Rebellion. Read by the author. This is it Balaam walked up to my left he was a little too close for comfort but my mind had become numb to his threat in fact it had become numb almost completely I didn't care that I was stuck in some memory I didn't care that I had to get out or that I even had to find my friends I didn't care because of what I knew was going to happen next I was trying so hard to forget about this to shove it down to be numb and it was working What? I asked in a quiet, monotone voice. My eyes locked on my past self, who was now finishing a briefing with the team leader of the guards that would be replacing us. It had not been long after the firefight that our relief had arrived as the day grew dark. By the looks of everyone, we were all worn thin. I thought back on the days around this time. The back-to-back missions, with little to no sleep, and then guard duty on the route to the port. We'd been going hard, for days and were about to finally get a 24 hour break before starting the doom and gloom all over again. This memory that has caused you the m- most misery in life, I mean this, this is it? You had to have seen worse, none of your friends even died," Balaam remarked. His voice had a tone of annoyance in it, as if he expected some grand dramatic event to have happened. Not yet. I felt the numbness slowly begin fading away, and a sour feeling was growing by the second, as my past self now walked away from the other team leader and two of his men who were about to march back to the OP. What do you mean, not yet? Do you get ambushed again? Balaam pushed for answers. I didn't respond. I just stared as PFC Wilson walked up to my past self and asked, Hey, uh, Sergeant Dunn, could we still talk when we get back? My past self looked at Wilson with tired eyes inside. If it's okay with you, man, I think I need a rain check. I'm I'm having a hard time keeping my eyes open and when we get back I'm going to have to brief the commander on what happened here. I'll be lucky if I get to my bed by midnight. But we'll talk, okay? Wilson's face grew even darker, as if I had just condemned the man to death. In a way, looking back, I had. I'd abandoned him at his time of need, and he needed me most. Maybe this was what finally broke him. The fact that I abandoned him may have just been what pushed him over the edge, or that I didn't have time for him. Or maybe it was the fact that he had hope that he could finally get whatever was off his chest and built up the expectation of getting a little, tiny relief, and I dashed it down. Whatever it was, it was plain and clear. This was me failing Wilson. My past selves saw Wilson's face and quickly added, We'll talk soon, man, I, I promise. Tomorrow, okay? Now Wilson's dry, monotone voice, which matched my own, just simply said, Okay. Julian, what happens next? "'This all seems to be too nice to be in a misery room,' "'Balaam asked, still slightly annoyed, "'but had any time in it. "'Balaam asked, voice still slightly annoyed, "'but in it was a tone of excitement, "'like he was hoping for something, "'like expecting it to happen. "'I looked over at the man. "'His eyes almost seemed to bulge out of his head. "'It was an ugly look for an ugly face.' As if he was hungry for something that I just didn't have an answer for. And something else caught my attention. He had said something strange. Misery room? But my mind was slowly lost track of this. And when Balaam said, Yuliam, what happens next? Wilson, he, um, my voice began to crack. It was hard getting out the words, and I don't know why I was even telling Balaam this. I owed him nothing, and he obviously would not care about my pain, but I was vulnerable. I wanted to spill this out. It had welled up inside me for so long, and no one knew about it. Not even Rodriguez knew about this little exchange I had just had with Wilson, and the horrible failure I had committed. It had been festering so long in me, and I shoved it down into the back, dark corners of my mind. But now I couldn't take it anymore. I wanted it out, and so my words leapt from my mouth. He took his life. That night, I croaked. My eyes began filling with tears. Balaam's mouth almost seemed to smile like it tried to hint at it. But he swallowed hard to fight it. He was a horrible actor, but he tried to play some part of concern. Friend. Why? What happened? That letter, it it was from his wife. She told him that she was taking their small daughter and moving in with another man. She was, I, I guess, divorcing him. I bit my lip as the words spilled out. I knew I shouldn't be telling this to him, but I couldn't help it. I just had to get this out, out into the air like it would heal me. And you blame yourself for not talking to him that night. Balaam spoke in a matter-of-fact tone, but the corner of his mouth kept inching upwards, and he had to fight the excitement that was clearly welling up inside. You think that you, talking to him, prevented him from... Or would've prevented him from taking his own life. I didn't answer Balaam. I knew that he was probably just trying to goat me into suffering more. But in all honesty, I don't think I could suffer more than I was at this moment. I remember how tired I was. <laughs> how we'd been working non-stop, going on patrols, then guard duty, and we were finally... Finally about to get our first break in, I don't know, three weeks it had to have been. Had if I just would have taken some damn time to talk to Wilson, five minutes maybe. But no, I was too tired, too selfish, too stupid to see. I just wish, I just wish. Balaam spoke again this time, not even trying to hide the joy in his voice or the smile on his face. I guess we'll never know what happened. Must be very hard shouldering that blame. I mean, I guess it can't be all on you. It's not as if you killed Wilson. Well, I mean, kind of. <laughs> I felt a sudden urge of anger go through my body. And the sickening pain became numb. And then burst into flame as red-hot anger... I felt my hand dig for my blade that was buried in my pocket, and I worked it out as I spoke. Why are you laughing? Balaam's smile evaporated, and he threw up his hands in a look of caution. I only meant it was just... It wasn't just your fault. Shut the hell up! I yelled, flipping out the blade and pointing out, over at the man. I could feel my rage taking in, and any kind of logical thought was soon taking a back seat to... the feeling of bloodlust shut up i don't play your stupid game i'm not playing it don't play like you're you're my friend i'm gonna cut you if you say one more word i will cut you from your belly button to your sternum if you don't shut the hell up i literally have no use for you you've proven me nothing you're only alive because for some reason i'm allowing it i wouldn't say that i'm completely useless. Balaam sneered I found the way out Balaam reached into his pocket but I raised my knife and stepped within striking distance and he quickly threw up his hands back up it's in my pocket and clearly if I had a weapon I would have already done something with it he slowly reached his hand into his pocket and pulled out a vial full of black inky liquid with a dirty cork stuck in the top His hand shook a little while holding the vial. It's from those barrels, he explained. I believe if we drink this, we will wake up. I scoffed at him. What do you mean? You want me to just drink some substance you found? Do I look like an idiot? Look around you. You can interact with everything in your environment. Touch, feel, whatever. Because your memory provides that. I, however can't interact with anything, because I have no memory of this place. I don't know what it feels like here. I don't know what the leaves do. Well, I mean, I know what they do, but I don't know how they feel. Because I have no memory. You do. Balaam reached down to grab some dirt from the ground to prove his point, and his hand merely went through it like it was fog or mist. The liquid was the only thing I could touch or interact with. Balaam uncorked the vial with his teeth. It made a pop sound. I believe drinking it will wake us up. Merely touching it or smelling it wouldn't work. Otherwise I would be gone. Let me see you touch the liquid from those barrels first, I commanded. As the words left my lips, everything went dark, and we were back in the brush where we were we were back in the brush where we had started at, and Balaam smile on his face formed big and bright and grim you can either trust me or we can just live through this whole wonderful experience again abigail's joy was overwhelming She was only near feet from the very book she had been sent to collect. She could almost reach out and touch it. But there was one thing that stood in her way. Was this old, fat, red-faced fool, RJ. Or Pan, as he had already told her to call him several times. He was old, but not as old as the Grand Monarch. And his white hair offset the red hue that his skin now gave off. Or radiated. This she could see, even though the room was dimly lit. And then he kept having to push up his glasses every time he yelled and flailed about. Do you realize (sighs) how much misery magic you wasted? Pan's raspy smoker voice croaked. For what? So some idiot who isn't even fit to wear a robe let alone a red one at that? That's not my problem, RJ. That's yours. I told you to call me by my proper name! And you! He turned and pointed at the small child cowering in the corner. You will pay for your part in this! I only did what Madame Albert told me to. Tabitha wiped the tears streaming down her face with a shaking hand. Pam walked over, grabbed the poor child by the wrist, and began dragging her away. To the vacuum room with you, and you can... Join the others, and you know what? This time, maybe I'll let you sit in there until you die. Please, no. Just lock me in the closet again, or or don't feed me. Please not the vacuum room. Tabitha screamed in terror and thrashed about, trying to escape the grasp of Pan. This continued out the door of his private study and down a dark hall. The private study, as Pan called it, but it was really more of a laboratory that had themes of the occult in every corner. A large bookcase filled with tomes of old and updated textbooks on magic sat in the corner of the room, next to a large jet-black statue of the beautiful one. Across from there stood a workbench filled with beakers, test tubes, and a burner. Next to it, a workbench with hammers, metal platings, and other various tools. On the rightmost side of the room was a grand mahogany desk with books and papers scattered about. Red-lit candles dripped wax on the two furthermost post corners of the desk that slooped up. Abigail scanned the desk and could see the book that she was sent for. She walked over to it. Her fingers caressed the edge of the book. Pam slammed open the door of his studies. The door itself vibrated and bounced off the wall. He looked like a man on fire and he was staring straight at Abigail. His glasses sat on the bridge of his nose, all fogged up from the profuse work of dragging the child down the hall. His white comb-over hair was now disheveled and showed sweat underneath. "'You can't have that book yet,' he said in a stern, yelling, half-angered voice. "'At least, not yet. I've decided for most of the ritual part.' And I'm so close. Tell the Grand monarch I just need a little more time. How long have you been saying that little lie? Abigail smiled at him. If you were going to figure it out, hmm, I think you would have done so by now. Pam shut the door behind me. Just, Just give me a few more hours. You owe me that at least for the misery magic. He tried to calm himself and put on his best charm. It felt horribly. Abigail fondled her her arms across her body and chuckled. I owe you nothing. Give me a few more hours or I'll let the Grand Monarch know about how his newest red robe was too busy playing in the misery rooms than to deal with getting his precious book back. Pam said, wearing a look of pride like a chess player who had just placed his opponent in check. I don't care. Go right ahead and tell the Grand Monarch... That would be a relief to get away from that fool. Abigail scoffed, but deep down inside, she really didn't want this. Balaam, well, he was easy to control and manipulate, and she was still unsure if she had some sort of attraction to him. You need a new handler, and maybe, just maybe I should suggest my cousin, the sheriff. I'm sure he would love to handle you quite well. Pan smiled. The last few words were drawn out for effect. "'Fine,' Abigail snapped at the man. "'You have till midnight, and then we must leave, "'or I risk being late to report to the Grand Monarch, "'and it'll be both of our hides.'" I eyed the black vial in my hand. The light from the memory of the day reflected off the inky liquid as I rolled it back and forth in my hand. How much do we have to drink of it? I asked, my tone reflecting the disgust I felt in my gut about this whole situation. About the fact that I was about to have to trust Balaam with this. How much do we have to drink, Balaam? You drink half. And then I'll drink the other half, Balaam replied. If that's not enough, we'll just have to go through the memory again and drink more. This is stupid. I tossed the vial back at him. He clawed and scrambled to catch it as if it was the most precious, fragile thing he had. I'm not drinking that. It could be, I don't know, some vial of poison and you're just trying to pull one over on me. You think I just carry a random vial of poison? Balaam eyebrows arched. So you just randomly carry an empty vial in a cork, I shot back. Balaam just stared at me and then without word, lifted the vial, ripped the cork out with his teeth, spit it to the ground and began drinking it greedily. Hey, that's more than half, I dove at him, fought for the vial. He had first put up a fight like he was a man who was parched and this was his last bit of water. But I clamped down on that injured hand and he gasped. Then reluctantly let go of the vial and smiled at me with black teeth. It was unnerving the way he smiled, and it made me pause for a moment. It felt off, like this was some sort of trap. Yet the man had drank the liquid. He'd fought me off as if maybe he was trying to leave me here in this nightmare alone. And then my mind raced, trying its best to replay everything that had went on from this point. He had said something odd. He had called this place a misery room. Yet. When I first arrived here, he would said he had no knowledge of where we were. I lifted the black vial up, to my nose, gave it a sniff, and immediately brought it back down. The smell of rot struck my nose, and Balaam laughed at this. If you're not going to finish it, give it to me, then. His tone had started out light like it was a joke, but by the end of the sentence, he sounded hungry, and he began reaching out for the vial. I stepped back, and in a slew, I stepped back, and in a slow... Small- Smooth, slow motion lifted the vial and swallowed the most foul drink I had ever tasted. It had the consistency of oil or blood, and the taste of rot with sticky sweet hint in it. I had wanted to vomit it all back up, but I forced it down. Then from behind me, a voice that sounded very out of place in this horrible memory shouted out, "'Ulium, no!' I spun around, and there stood Lilith and Finnegan, eyes wide in shock." Laughter from behind me broke out, and it was very similar to a hyena that had went full hysterical and was going to be carted off to the animal nut house at any moment. And I spun around, and there was Balaam, crackling with mad laughter. Spit flew from his wide-open, toothy mouth as he laughed. His eyes were fixed on me. They went from blue in color to fading to black, then to blackness, bleeding over into the whites of his eyes. And then the black began running down his face. He straightened out, walked towards me, and struck me hard in the face with a fist that came out of nowhere while continuing his strange laughter. My hand, fe- my head felt light, and where my feet were, n- were numb and glued to the ground, I stumbled over. He jumped on top of me, and his eyes still leaking the black fluid as he brought me brought down his fist upon me again and again. His laughter continued, but another voice low and gravelly came out at the same time. Not his own. It's your fault, William. It's your fault. They're dead. Wilson. Miguel. Their blood is on your hands. Just look. (laughs) Strange voice yelled out of Balaam's mouth as he continued. His body in laughter, but... A voice words without his mouth moving I looked down at my hands after he had stopped pummeling me for a second where they were and there was they were covered in blood or so I thought but the amount of blood that was flowing off of them had to come from somewhere else not my own body I felt no cut that would have caused this and the blood w- went from bright red then to dark red and finally jet black and I lifted my eyes back up to Balaam's face it twisted unnaturally in a smile that was humanly impossible his eyes had leaked out and two black holes now replaced them a small swirling spark ignited in each eye and red flame began to dance in each eye socket some warrior you are to think he chose you pathetic on both of your parts the skin of his face began to split from the bottom of his jaw up around his nose and to the top of his forehead as he leaned closer to me. His teeth in the, were formed in a demonic smile began to grow jagged and long as he leaned closer to my face. The world behind me began to flash from bright light to pitch black in a slow strobe. A yell followed by a man's body colliding with the demon that was on me that had once been balaam released the pressure off of my chest and i felt air entering my lungs strange i didn't remember suffocating before but the new air reminded me how much i needed to breathe i could hear myself gasping in and out trying to fill my heavy chest i sat up the strobing light just now daylight of my memory but fuzzy and foggy as if my mind were forgetting where it was A tall, boy-faced man with red hair was getting off the strange creature. Fidigan's fists were red and swelling up from the clash with the demon's face. He shook them in pain and he looked at me and he began talking, but it sounded far off and echoey and I couldn't make it out very well. Rev! 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 Are you all right? He called out. A delicate hand reached out in front of me. It seemed almost to sparkle in the light as I stared at it, in wonder... Yuliam, are you okay?' Lilith said, but her voice, too, was distant and an echoey. I reached my hand up and took hers. A strange warmth filled my body as if it were leaving, and her hand was cupping my whole life force. And then a warmth began filling my body from her hand my head i said but my words were slurred and heavy my head felt light. she pulled me up to a sitting position can you walk i i th- think s- so i said finnegan walked over and helped me up and as soon as i was on my feet my head felt like it wanted to go back to the ground but finnegan held me still come on let's get out of here he said The once still Balaam now spoke again. His face had fallen off to reveal a jet black skull. You'll never get out of this misery. And if you do, I'll come for you. I will take you. And if I can't have you, I'll take the thing you love most. Rebecca. (laughs) It laughed. I stared in shock at the spectacle of what I once knew to be Balaam, but now not. The flame-red eyes stared at me, the mouth had no lips, but I swear the creature was smiling with its skull. A smile that conveyed that it could, and it would make good on its words, and my body shook. Maybe not from the vial of whatever I just drank, but from anger and hate. William, what's wrong? Come on, let's get out of here. Finnegan eyed me. Lilith's voice, soft and calm, penetrated my ears which should have been hard to do because i could hear the rush of blood throwing and flowing through them and my heart thumping like a drum Yulium, don't almost dreamlike or nightmare-like ah uh, as if i was merely a spectator of my own body i felt my hand dig for my knife again watched as i flicked my wrist and the shiny metal blade whipped out for all to see i pushed myself off of Finn again, but he tried to gra- re-grab me as if to stop me, but it was not quite enough, or he wasn't quite fast enough, because his fingers glanced over the cloth of my shirt. Everything to me felt slow, but I must be moving fast. I straddled the creature and looked down at it. The red eyes just stared right back at me, and the smile had broken into a mocking laugh that I could not hear over the blood rushing through my ears. It was saying something, but I couldn't hear it. It had to die. Even if this thing was merely a hallucination, and this was Balaam, I didn't care, because either way, this would solve a problem. Balaam or the devil would be gone, and to me, they were really just one and the same. I looked the thing over and realized that only the face was a black skull, and the rest of it was flesh and blood that could bleed. I lifted my blade off off of my... I lifted the blade, looked it over, then pressed the tip to the side of his neck. With an odd easy movement, my blade sunk into the pale flesh and blood began to jet forth as I sawed from one side to the other. All while the skull laughed, unfraised by my blade, eyes still staring at me. I could hear a woman's scream from behind me, but I finished the task regardless. I stood up. Blade in hand covered in shiny crimson, and stared at the skull that refused to stop laughing, and its eyes stared at me. The whole thing soured my stomach, and I fought back a wave of nausea until everything went dark. A voice that I knew to be Lilith said behind me, William, what have you done? I let the question hang in the air for a moment, and then said, I took care of the problem. It won't come back for Rebecca. What do you mean? Lilith's voice was small, but with no other noises in the blackness to compete with, it was quite audible. We stood there for a moment, waiting for the memory to restart, but it never came back. We were back in the pitch-black room, where it all had started. The sounds of our breathing, the only real noise now in here. After another minute or so, Finnegan's voice broke the stillness. Look, there's a light there. My eyes scanned and found what looked like the outline of a door. Let's go. Rodriguez's eyes cracked open at the sound of a child's cry. Or at least that's what he thought he heard. The sound was distant, muffled. Maybe it came from his dream... Or maybe this was the dream. And if he was in a dream right now, this was more of a morbid, horrible nightmare. Rodriguez looked around at his bindings. He was suspended in the air, hanging by metal hooks in his back, legs and arms. His hands were chained to some kind of shackle that hooked to the chain of the hook, and his head hung freely, and he could look around when he wasn't passed out. A strange metal mass covered his nose and mouth, and it was strapped tightly to his head. Every fifteen minutes or so, a buzzard would sound, and it would start sucking the air out of his lungs. He was unsure how long this would happen, as he would pass out before the sucking sound stopped. He looked at his hands that dangled in the air. His fingers were stuck with a needle, each having a long tube attached that drained small amounts of blood to some unknown place. His eyes scanned the room that was painted red by a dim electric light in each corner. The ceiling had several sets of hooks and clamps that hung from it, and across from them was Preston, in the same predicament he was. He thought back and tried to remember how he ended up in this very room. He remembered being very drunk and running from some guards in some strange, wondrous room, then a thump to the head, and then he woke up here. When he had woken up in here, there was an older man, older in age, who wore a strange mask. It looked like some kind of small bowl or goat head made of porcelain. The man strapped a metal mask to Preston and himself. He introduced himself as Pan and told the the men that they owed him a significant amount of money. However, he was going to take his payment through the means of harvesting some substance from them. They had this... He had this whole nonchalant way of talking about everything, like it was nothing more than a mere doctor's appointment, and they were just overreacting to a hangnail. Rodriguez tried to talk to the man, but only muffled sounds came out of the metal mask. The man just shushed him and told him to be quiet, and then pointed over to the strange container made of glass that was hooked to a long tube. He said once that was full, he would release the men and they could go about their lives. But the container was quite large and only slightly... Filled every time the machine kicked on to suck at their mouths Rodriguez honestly didn't know if he was going to survive by the time the container was full it stood now halfway as he looked at Preston he was pretty sure Preston was already dead and that he would soon follow unless someone came and intervened the man burst through a door dragging a small girl who was doing her best kicking and screaming to get away from this man in the strange mask Rodriguez recognized him as the same man that had strapped the mask onto his face. The man yelled some obscenities and struck the girl hard in the head, and her body went limp. Stupid thing, I should have killed you. Should have killed you off before your mother even gave birth to you. Your usefulness is worn off. (laughs) He coughed hard, spit to the side. You're just a liability. The man spoke, this out cold and out loud for the world to hear. Then he strapped the mask to the girl's face, and instead of using hooks on the ceiling, he took rope, tied her up, and then hung her ropes from the hooks. Rodriguez tried to yell and scream, but he had no energy at all. All he could do at this point was stare in the hopeless desperation, as he could do nothing for the girl. He couldn't even do anything for himself. He was going to die in here, and all for what? Booze? Gambling? The company of women for the night? He cursed himself, and he should have listened to Lilith about this place, it being bad. But she was such a goody-two-shoes at the time that he thought it was nothing more than just a whorehouse that he was entering. The man looked over, still wearing his porcelain mask, his eyes peered out, and he examined Rodriguez. "'Still hanging in there, are you?' Let's see how your friend's doing the man walked over to preston placed two old decrepit fingers upon the man's neck and dug for a pulse he then pulled his hand away and after some time scratched his chin and then looked back at rodriguez (sighs) looks like that's all i'm gonna get from him he's gone i'll give you some time to say your goodbyes and i'll send someone back in here to dispose of him later who knows maybe by then you'll be dead too The masked man turned, and walked out the door. Jacob's eyes felt heavy, and his head felt like it was filled with fog. He could hear voices at a distance, but he focused hard on what they were saying. They were familiar. One was a female that reminded him of him home, of his childhood, and, and of his life now, all at the same time. The other was loud and brash, and it was male and talking like he had something stuck in his mouth. I told you we had to be on the train and moving in two hours. I can't do anything about it. That train leaves when it leaves, and besides that, I got orders, the male voice yelled. It was familiar, but not like the female voice. "'Jacob is just barely out of surgery, and besides Lilith, Yuliam, and the rest of them are not back yet,' the female voice said, matching the volume of the man. As her voice became clearer, he recognized this as his twin sister, Rebecca. "'It's out of my hands! You guys either get on that train or not, but the group can't wait for the others!' As the voice finished, a name popped into Jacob's head, a name usually for a girl, but it belonged to this man named Leslie." "'Then I guess we are not packing up,' Rebecca spat back. "'Everyone, calm down,' another man's voice, low and deep, bellowed out. "'Rebecca, you pack yourself and your family's stuff. "'I'll go find those boys and your sister, "'and I'll bring a couple horses, and we'll make good time back to the train. "'We'll make it.' "'Jacob's mind pictured a giant of a man who looked fearsome, "'but with a really teddy bear demeanor named Douglas.' "'What about Julian's stuff?' Rebecca asked. "'For crying out loud!' Leslie chided. "'I'll pack the guy's stuff, Rebecca,' another female voice that Jacob knew to belong to Ruby, the medic. "'Whatever, but everyone better be on that train by midnight, because we are leaving!' Loud footsteps followed by a door slammed, and Jacob guessed that Leslie must have left the room in his normal fashion." Ah, Balaam, Balaam, I told you not to drink it. Till you had my book, and now look at you. The woman with fire-red hair and a sheer dress stared off the edge of the cliff at the black water. Balaam gripped his throat and fell to his knees. What's happening? You're dying, Balaam. It seems your lust for revenge has become... Your undoing, she chuckled. Sad. It's such potential. But now you will go out to the grave with no legacy, nothing. In fact, I bet no one will even know or care that you're gone. Please, help me. Balaam tried to cry, but he had to fight to get his words out, even though it was dark upon the cliff where he was. The first time, the first cliff dive, it seemed to be getting darker by the second, and his eyes began to get heavy. Help you? Why should I help you? Already tried, but you don't listen. Please, I'll give you any. They just don't let me die. Balaam begged in a breathless voice. The red-haired woman turned and smiled, like a woman who suspect her lover was about to give her a marriage proposal. I want everything Balaam, I want you to obsess over me, I want you to be a slave to me, I want to be consumed with you and by you,
0: now give me all that you are and you ever will be.
1: This has been A Better Utopia, Chapter 21, The Deal, written and produced by Counter Culture Rebellion, read by the author. This is the season finale, and I will be going on a bit of a hiatus to try to write, record, make a better project for you guys, so that way that, well, we don't run into issues where, you know, I'm being put back and set back. My life has kind of changed a little bit. I've started a new job. And so, I'm not sure about how much time I'll have to write, but I'm going to write, and I'm going to continue this podcast. Um, The start date, I haven't decided yet. It'll just all depend upon how much I've gotten done, and I will announce it probably mid-summer while creating some sort of trailer for you guys. Again, thank you all to who have listened, who have stayed tuned, who have just subscribed to this podcast, who have shared it. Thank you guys so much. And thank you all for the ones that prayed for me and my family. I really appreciate it, guys. And that being said, stay tuned for season three. um, And stay tuned for the trailer.